This is Coach Lou Holtz, and you're listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast with Dr. Amber Selke, from the locker room to the boardroom. Dr. Amber is the best in the business at helping you and your team build the mindset that drive results. So lock in. If you can take just one thing away from today and implement it into your life, I know you'll be a better person and a better leader, coach, athlete, parent, or spouse because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. This is your host, Dr. Amber Selking, where we are in season five entitled Mindset for Execution. I am so excited to be able to introduce your guest today, Mr. Aaron Taylor, one of my dear friends and colleagues um, who is a CBS sports analyst, a Super Bowl champion, and an advocate of speaker and speaker on some incredible topics that just ignite organizations, but also challenge the heart and the mind to consider new and different things. And that's really what we're all about here at the Selking Performance Group, right? So from the locker room to the boardroom, from the sports space to the business space, really helping individuals, teams, and organizations understand and leverage the power of mindset and leadership to unleash performance excellence. And again, I couldn't think of a better individual than Aaron Taylor to be with us as our last guest of the season for season five. Uh, We do have one more episode left next week where we will actually recap all of the incredible individuals that we've had the opportunity to learn from over the course of season five and really refresh our minds about what those different mindsets for execution and the mindset training that those individuals gave us to integrate into our own lives to help us build that championship mindset. But today you are in for a treat because every time I have the opportunity to have a conversation with this man, it's one of depth, it's one of substance, it's one of purpose, it's one of passion. And so I can't wait to hear what we get into today. But if you're not familiar with Aaron, he's currently a CBS sports analyst and college football Hall of Fame nominee. Um, He's really been one of the most prominent voices in college football over the last decade. And so having the experiences of being a player at the University of Notre Dame, where he was a unanimous All-American honor in both his junior and his senior years, and then won the Lombardi Award for the best interior lineman in the country, you know, from that experience to the experience of of being a first round draft pick in the '94 NFL Draft, and then went on to be a part of the Packers organization where they won a Super Bowl. I mean, you're talking about an individual who's lived it, breathed it at the highest levels, and then has had to learn how to navigate life after football. And so, the depth and the rawness of his experience, and how he contextualizes and conceptualizes life and work and family, and showing up and being great at what Whatever you do, um, I know you are going to glean a lot from his wisdom and insight and experience. And, you know, I think that his experiences at the University of Notre Dame, where he was molded so heavily by Coach Holtz and and Coach Moore, who was his offensive line coach, really led him to, to actually create the Joe Moore Award, which is given every year to the best offensive line in the country. And, and at, the, at Notre Dame, we actually had the opportunity where our offensive line won that award two years ago. And 
And that word award stands for people who are willing to give up individual acclaim to sacrifice for the team, right? I am because of us is his motto. And that is manifested through the Joe Moore Award because there's nothing more sacrificial than an offensive line who is willing to protect the quarterback, go very much unacclaimed, if you will, but have the opportunity to have such a huge impact in a game. And I think that's a great metaphor to life as well. You know, how do we show up every day, not seeking the limelight, but rather doing our job and being very committed to a vision and a purpose and all of a sudden giving greatness to everybody around us. And that's really the heart behind that award. And I know the mindset and heart set behind Aaron Taylor as well. So as we dive in with him and learn from him today and hear his story and experiences, just keep your, keep your ear attuned to that side of who he is because it's a powerful element. I also want to note that Aaron is a speaker uh, to, to any organization across the country. And what I most admire about him are the topics that he chooses to lean into because they're challenging ones. They're ones that take a special individual to present them, um, but have huge impact. And one of them is leadership and teamwork, which might sound general to you. But again, given an individual who has been through what he's gone through in his life from a sports perspective, um, that's a really powerful opportunity to hear from somebody at that level. But then he also dives into to more challenging elements like mental health and overcoming addiction, like identity and career transition, like diversity and life balance. I mean, these are things that are hard to talk about and many people shy away from. But if we're real with ourselves, and, and, and again, here at Selking Performance Group, we talk about the power of mindset to unleash performance excellence. I mean, you've got to be willing to lean in to hard conversations like this because it's often those things that we avoid that impede us from being our best selves. So I ask you to really open your heart, open your mind today as we dive into our conversation with Aaron to learn more about how to process challenging life experiences and how to show up as the best version of yourself, despite what you may be going through. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, without further ado, I want to welcome to the show, Mr. Aaron Taylor. Aaron, thank you so much for being here with us today. I am really, really excited about our conversation. Amber, I can't wait to catch up with you too, girl. You've played a, uh, you've been a good friend and played a big role in kind of my own transition and transformation. And now you're Dr. Selking though. So I'm pretty honored that I get to sit down and talk with an official doctor. <laughs> well, we're all in this together, and I could not be more thrilled to have a, a friend and a colleague like you on this journey. Um, you know, what I love most about our relationship is just the ability for both of us to ping each other quick and be like, hey, you got five minutes, right? And just a quick <laughs> download, quick reset, and then both back at it again, you know, chomping at the bit and trying to make a difference in this world. So it is fun. I enjoy it as well. And, and I think that's one of the commonalities that we both share and probably why we connected is we don't have all the answers and everybody needs help and support and a resource circle, if you will, that you can reach out to when things are moving fast. We all have those blind spots where we need people to check us and to be able to tell us to look over our shoulders so we don't crash into the guardrail or, you know, to some car we can't anticipate coming down and it's going to crash into us or however you want to play that metaphor out. But we've been that for each other for sure. And it's been fun to kind of watch each of our growth and development as we've done that over these last several years. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I love that that's how you kick this off, right? Because when we're talking about a mindset for execution, right, the ability to show up and deliver when it's really hard is like not about having it all together all the time and being massively stoic and unaffected by life, right? It's about having courage and being able to step into really hard places. And, you know, I've referenced recently that I haven't been a Brene Brown fan forever because I hated the word vulnerability, you know, in our <laughs> worlds that we've that we've lived in. I've avoided it for as long as I could, but I listened to something of her recently and she's so raw and real, like she's like Love us it. in that way. And so yep. I couldn't help but like, you know, get excited about her. And so, you know, how she describes vulnerability and defines it is the ability to stand in the place of emotional exposure where there's uncertainty or risk. And and that's courage. And I think that when we talk about a mindset for execution, and when I think about you particularly, Aaron, you know, the ability to have courage to stand in hard, open places where you are emotionally exposed and there is uncertainty or risk, dude, you show up and crush it in those moments. And, you know, the backside, looking back 2020 vision, you know, yeah, you crushed it. But talk to us about what, you know, your journey as a Notre Dame football player, as a Super Bowl champion, as a husband, as a father, um, you know, dealing with transitioning out of addiction and into sobriety after retirement from the NFL and now as a CBS college football analyst, like you've been in raw and exposed places and yet you've shown up and found the best parts of yourself. Talk to us about your mindset through your life journey in that way. Yeah, that's great, man. You just threw out a lot there. And I was kind of going over things in my head as you were laying out that really thoughtful question. I was like, man, that kind of has been a theme for me. And uh, I think at the end of the day, one of the strengths of mine is that no matter what, I show up and I keep showing up, even when I'm scared, even when it's hard, even when I doubt myself, somehow, some way, I get back up to the line of scrimmage in my life and I go for it. And I think one of the most profound ways that happened was very early on in my football career when I was a DNF student uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was drinking a lot, smoking weed, was a knucklehead, man. I think what was driving that was this need to fit in. So I was making bad decisions and hanging out with the wrong crowd and it was catching up with me. I kind of had a come to Jesus moment when my mom kicked me out the house and uh, she started walking me back with what it is I wanted to do. And I said, oh, I want to play pro football. And she basically helped me realize this direct connection between our choices, actions and consequences. And that everything I was doing in the moment was directly connected to who and what I would become later on. And I was unaware of that. So I mean, I was 15. It, most kids aren't aware of that. So through this whole confluence of events, the universe just kind of opened up once I declared what it is I wanted to do. And I found myself at De La Salle High School across the bay about an hour and a half away in this house that just materialized that a friend of my mom's from work was trying to rent out. and She got a brand new job taking care of drug babies and getting those rehabilitated uh, through this program called Baby Moms. And it just like things fell into place. Well, after practice one, I thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life because I got crushed. <laughs> God dang it, Aaron Taylor, you son of a da -da -da, coming over here with these bad habits. And it was this process where they were really good about breaking me down, but not so good about breaking me back up. And I couldn't do anything right, Amber. If I was supposed to go left, I went right. If I was supposed to go right, I ended up going left. My thigh pads were in upside down. I mean, it was a disaster. 
So after the two day practices, I come home and I'm in tears. My mom says, Hey, how was practice? I don't say anything. I rush right past her. I slam the door shut and I go into my room. About 45 minutes later, she comes in and I'm still crying. She goes, uh, how'd it go? <laughs> I was like, it was awful. Um, I was just, I couldn't do anything right. They were yelling at me and you moved over here and you, you sacrificed so much for me. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I can't do this. I don't think I can do this. And she said, you know, she just teased out what had happened and I kind of laid it all out for her and she listened, man. And, and that was critical. She didn't intervene and she very thoughtfully, and my mom had a knack for this. She said, you got to figure out if what you want is worth the price you're going to be willing to pay and that you're going to be asked to pay to get it. And she said, what time's practice tomorrow? And I said, seven. She said, okay, I'll have breakfast ready at six. If you get up in the morning and eat breakfast, I'll know the decision that you've made. And if you don't get up, don't worry. I'll keep it warm for you and I'll never say a word about it. And she shut the door. I just got the chills. Well, oh talk God. about a mom or, a, you know, an influencer in your life giving you an opportunity to make the choice for you. I mean, when we talk about autonomy and making choices and giving people an opportunity to do that and the type of ownership that that breeds, I'm sorry, I can't wait to hear what's next. I get so excited. Go ahead. Man, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Cause it is profound. And, um, my mom wasn't perfect. Just like I'm not a perfect parent and none of us are, but she did some things really, really well. And one of those were those moments where it was about choice and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was sitting on the edge of the bed wondering, what the hell am I going to do? How can I go through that again? How can I endure that? Is this what I even really want? All this doubt started to creep in. I'll never forget that moment sitting on the edge of the bed wondering what my next move was going to be. And I get teary-eyed and a little emotional talking about it. Because when I think back to that moment, I had no idea just how close I was to throwing everything away. The scholarship to Notre Dame, the All-American, the Lombardi, meeting my wife, playing in Super Bowls, getting drafted, meeting you, uh, everything that came after that decision has been the most amazing life that I could ever imagine. And as I sit here and give this interview, the only thing I would change about my life is that sometimes the way I feel about it, that it is overwhelmingly successful and I am living my ideal life in almost every category in every imaginable way. And I was a single decision away from throwing it away. And somehow, some way, sitting on the edge of the bed, I made that choice to somehow get up that next morning, eat breakfast, and go back to practice. And in that next practice, I did a little bit better. And then the next day, I did a little bit better. And I started figuring some things out. And well, as I'm sure your listeners and you know, uh, kind of was good at that football thing. And <laughs> it's all worked <laughs> out in the end. Aaron, that's powerful. And I think that, you know, for a mindset for execution, it's about understanding that moments matter and small moments matter. I mean, a 15-year-old kid sitting on the edge of the bed in California one morning, like made a choice. And the trajectory of your life from that choice has had such a big impact on so many other lives. And we all have to take responsibility for the moments and the choices, regardless of how small they may seem, in the ripple effect that our lives can have in this world. That is a critical element of a mindset for execution. 
take us into your college days and sort of draft days and where you're at in terms of developing that mindset to execute. It was interesting. So when I got to practice, I had another one of those. I, I seem to cry a lot. <laughs> I had another one of those. Uh, you're a very emotionally connected man. That's a good thing. <laughs> My freshman year, we get to uh, get to campus, and it's just the freshmen, right? So it's Bryant Young and I right out of the gate, you know, button heads and stepping up and being the first in drills. And he'd get me in, and I'd get him, and it was very balanced, and it stayed that way for four years, and we, were, we both ended up being first-round draft picks. I think he went sixth overall to the 49ers, and I was 16 to Green Bay. So we kind of figured out our own respective careers and were best friends in college and remain that way to this day. But then the vets showed up about four days later. <laughs> so I got all up, all swaggy, right, feeling pretty good, blocking Bryant Young, this 97 guy. But this number 50 dude gets up. And Amber, this cat had arms like legs and legs like people. He was gigantic. <laughs> and I got up to the line of scrimmage, and he ragdolled me, just mean, just threw me around like I was a little kid. And I'm like, oh, let's go again. I get up, boom, he does the same thing. And that happened a lot because I was on scout team in like day five or six. I remember calling home my mom in tears like, I can't play at this level. These guys are so good. This and that. Da, 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 da. She's like, slow it down, buddy. Take a breath. Slow your roll. Like what's happening? This and that. Da, da, da. And I think looking back, uh, I had these unrealistic expectations about what my level of performance could be given the lack of work and experience that I had. Well, that number 50 ended up being Chris Zorich, who, as many people know, is a college football Hall of Famer, was a, a NFL player for many, many years and won the Lombardi that year. So I was getting ragdolled by the best defensive lineman in the country, <laughs> didn't know it. And my expectation, bless my heart, was that I should have been able to block him as a 17-year-old. Well, again, I figured things out by repetitively showing up and Joe Moore teaching me that I was capable of accomplishing things that... Um, I, I didn't expect. I mean, his gift was teaching us that we were capable of doing much more than our limited perceptions of our own capabilities. And he had a way of doing that through repetition and practicing fundamentals and doing simple things over and over and over until you could build this foundation of support that when those moments of challenge arose, you knew that you could stand tall in the fire because you had done it with him. And, and he created these situations, it's the old coaching axiom, you know, we make practice harder than we make the games. Well, that was true for both Coach Holtz and Joe Moore, who was my position coach. So um, it was a, another moment of growth. But I think the, the significant things there for me are expectations uh, and, and being unrealistic without putting the work in. But again, the willingness to show back up and do the deal. Yeah, I think that's critical. And I want to sort of highlight another aspect of this too, is because in both the stories that you've told so far, which I think is for high performers and people who really have courage in that, again, emotional exposure, uncertainty and risk, um, transitions are hard. You know, like they're just hard, regardless of if you're going from uh, middle school to high school or high school to college or college to pro or pro to life after pro or, you know, single to married. I mean, transitions are hard. And to expect that they're not, I think, puts in people's minds this unrealistic expectation of of ease and ability to execute immediately. And I think champions really understand that, yeah, I'm going to be successful 
and this is going to be hard and it's going to take a little bit more time than maybe I anticipate. And they just keep showing up, like you said. Um, But I think that, again, as we understand what a mindset for execution is all about, you start to learn that it's not going to be smooth sailing right away. It's going to take a little bit of time, but if you do, great things can happen. Yeah, having some patience, having some diligence and some commitment, that's critical. Um, I, I, I love Joseph Campbell and the work that he's done around the hero's journey. It's basically the story arc for Star Wars, right? Like you're in this ordinary world and you have this limited awareness that, you know, things are going on and then all of a sudden something happens. You have this reluctance to to want to change or some trepidation to make this next move. And then boom. You commit to making that change. You go into this unknown space. You have a mentor that comes in that's Yoda that kind of coaches you up. He's your cut man in in the corners. You're out in the middle of the boxing ring, if you will. And then Darth Vader comes in. You have some battles. (laughs) You take some wounds, but you get some confidence. Then that big moment comes and you slay the dragon, right? You grab the elixir and you come back out into the this known familiar world. And I love that story arc. And that's what Gladiator and Star Wars and Braveheart, all these movies follow that because that's the journey of man. And at the end of the day, the human experience for me is one of transformation. It's about this continual cycle of moving from the known to the unknown, to the familiar, to the unfamiliar. And it's what we do in those transitions when we go from the daylight into the darkness, if you will, that often determines the successes that we enjoy and the happiness that we feel on a day-to-day basis. So we've heard a couple of those examples for me, sitting on the edge of the bed, uh, the first couple practices at Notre Dame. Those are the moments, blowing out my knees when I was in Green Bay, when you go from this known familiar to this unknown and unfamiliar world, those choices that we make in those moments dictate what we do and what our path is, what whether we accomplish our goals or not, and courage. And, you, and I love Brene Brown because what she's done to me is found that missing link between courage and vulnerability and how much strength it takes in those moments when we're scared, when we're doubtful, when we're scratching our heads wondering, what the hell have I done? How am I getting myself into this? How am I going to get out of this? It's that willingness to risk it all, to get it all that often determines whether we do or not. And in my life, the consistency, and I've made a ton of poor choices in my life, and I've certainly had my struggles across the board from top to bottom. At the end of the day, I keep showing up. And I think at me at the core of that, what I've realized, if there's one thing I could tell my children before I passed away, it would be this. The gold in our lives often lies just beyond where we're afraid or unwilling to go. We have to willingly step into fear. We have to be willing to risk it all if we want to get it all. That doesn't mean we need to be careless about it. Put your faith in God, but wear a dang life jacket. But that willingness to step into that unknown space and show up, I think is largely why most people that do succeed at some moment have that come to Jesus where they're sitting on the edge and they take a leap with curiosity and go, hmm, I wonder how this is going to play itself out. Wow, we could stop right there. And I think our listeners would be set for a long time to wrestle with some things. Aaron, that is profound. Um, I love it. I think that, you know, I, I, there's so much that we could dive in there. I think, how does that, tra- how did that transition, transition or translate to your experience in the NFL? 
That was interesting because I was a high round draft pick, 16th overall. Green Bay had traded up for me. They had this hot shot quarterback named Brett Favre. And that was the culmination of my my life's work from the time I was probably 14 years old when I had stated what my goal was. And I think it's really important for the listeners to understand that one of one of the themes I've just become aware, like I look back on my life and this is what's been laid out that once I name what it is I want and I clearly define it with some specificity and I define the what, the how kind of works itself out. And once I work and put some, some effort to it, um, things tend to show up when I define what it is I want them to be. So that getting drafted in the NFL was that moment for me. So on day four, when I ruptured my right patella tendon, that world came crashing down and my world literally stopped and they moved the drill up 10 yards as I looked down at my right leg and it looked like, you know, one of those lollipop drumsticks because there was nothing that my quad was attached to. It It all sucked up on the upper part of my femur. And that was a tremendous defining moment in my life. I knew from that point on, things weren't going to go, at least in football, like I had wanted them to, like I had dreamt about. And that was a period of darkness for me. And I, it's funny, Pat McKenzie, who's still the orthopedic surgeon for the Packers, big Notre Dame fan, um, was a great employee, but more importantly, a great friend. He showed up as a person on my um, at my door at the Midway Best Western Hotel, where I was, you know, holed up with my leg in a in a, in a brace after surgery. And he walked into the room and the blinds were, were drawn shut. It was completely dark. It didn't smell very good in there. There was about 12 pizza boxes and about 20, you know, cases of beer and empty cans in the corner. And he, we still to this day said that was one of the saddest scenes I'd ever seen. I was in the depths of a depression that I don't know if, uh, I had ever, certainly I hadn't experienced before, but to me at that point, I didn't even know if it was possible. And, I just kind of put my game face and kept pushing through. So I got to that unknown, unfamiliar space right out of the gate in Green Bay. And I don't mm. know if I ever fully recovered from that because I played that whole entire next year and boom, the same injury to the other leg in the first round of the playoffs, my second year in the NFL. And at that point, there had never been a player that had come back and had played successfully or at all from two ruptured patella tendons. So I knew that my time was was running short and I was on borrowed time and it was really, really difficult. And if I'm being honest, Amber, it took me 10 years after I retired to fully, fully come out of that depression and that space and the disappointment of my life and my career, at least with regards to football and athletics, going the way that I had wanted it to go. Aaron, what was it that helped you? I mean, I know 10 years is a long time, but it's also a blink of an eye in in the whole scope of a life. How do you feel like, what was your mindset to come out of that as you sort of walked back into the daylight after that long season of darkness? What helped you get into light again? All the things I got when I was growing up, you know, the principles that I was taught, honesty, I had to look in the mirror and realize that the lowest common denominator of all my problems was me, that I was responsible largely for a lot of the successes, um, but I was also largely responsible for the choices I made that led to my failures. I had to be willing to be courageous, to ask for help. 
I got the gift of desperation. I've been sober for almost two decades and I come from a long family of alcoholics and I worry and concern about my kids, my grandfather, my father, me, I've got two sons, it's in our family. But I think beyond that were the causes and conditions around the behavior that I had to put those things into my body. And at the end of the day, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And if we want something different in our lives, we have to do something different. And one of the things I had to do was to be honest with myself and change the behavior about what I was putting into my body and why. And that, for me, started a long journey um, to get back to my higher power, to God, the foundation of, of my life, to remind me of who I was and what my potential was, the power of the possibility and all the the success and the resources and the value that I could bring the world was sitting on the sidelines. And that was because I was dealing with that pain and the depression and the disappointment and, you know, all the childhood things and being hugged too much or not enough or whatever our individual walks were. I think at the end of the day, it comes back to courage. I looked in the mirror and I said, I want something different. And then I became willing to do something different. I asked people to help me. I did the work. I kept showing up. And 20 years later, I'm enjoying a life that I never thought possible. Mm. You know, and that brings me, you know, to maybe to most recent you know, season that that I know you you went through this past fall. Um, you know, you, you ping me one day like we always do to one another if we need a little kick in the behind or a little uh, little love or a little perspective. And, you know, you just lost your mom, the the woman who sacrificed so much back in those young years of yours to set you on a trajectory of your life. And, and you're in the midst of, you know, being a husband and being a father and you had to show up and do a job still. Like, talk to us about what that mindset demands of you. Like when things are hard and you're in those seasons of losing somebody that has a deep, deep part of your life. I mean, the fabric of your being is from her. What was your mindset then as you had to, again, go through that state and that pain and yet show up for your family and for your job? How does somebody do that? Yeah, man. Well, I, I don't know how other people did it. I'll, I'll share how I did it. And part of that was, you know, the willingness to reach out and not have all the answers. And I mean, it's comical. Like I, both you and I get paid to talk and share stories and, and you know, help people transform their lives. And I was in need of help. So the humility it took to pick up the phone to call you um, was was tremendous. But it's it's an aspect of my game, if you will, that I've learned is you don't have to have all the answers. Find coaches that can help you do that. And you do a beautiful and brilliant job in, in a lot of different arenas and circles and primarily with Notre Dame football coming off a 12-0 season. And oh, by the way, you know, you played a big role in that and will continue to play a big role and how you've helped people become the best versions of their selves. But at the end of the day, there's this guy, Arthur Joseph, he's a, a vocal coach that many of the, the networks hire. Um, I hired him personally to help me do some stuff. And he wrote a book called Vocal Awareness. And one of the things he said that's really stuck with me is that people don't understand just how hard it is to be yourself on television. And even though there were all these things going on, when that red light goes on, you're asked to perform. Nobody gives a dang if my mom died or I'm living away from my family and haven't seen them for two and a half months or, 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 or. They just want to know who's going to win the damn game and why. So I wasn't feeling like myself, obviously, when, you know, I'm a, a single child and grew up in a single parent household and 
she died in October in the second quarter of the Stanford game, by the way. And there's a beautiful story around that. That's another story for another time. But that's when I reached out to you. I was like, I wasn't feeling like myself. My game was off. And I think the value of a mentor, the value of a coach is to remind us to the words of the song we're singing when our minds go blank, right? You're the person off in the wings that says, hey, Aaron, keep showing up. Remember who you are. Get back to the basics. Don't overthink it. You earned the right to be here. Look, you know, approach it with curiosity, you know, set some goals, have a check-in partner before the game and a check-in partner after the game. What are the things that you're afraid of? List those out. What if they came true? What would that mean? How many other times in your life has that happened? You've succeeded then, right? Like all those, and I'm getting tingles talking about it because those are some of the things that you shared with me. And, and you didn't teach me anything in that moment. You reminded me of who the hell I was. I remembered and, and re-dash-membered, like to rejoin. I rejoined who I've always been, where the circumstances outside of my life started to distract me and prevented and made that process a little bit more difficult. So I think the humility to reach out, having some sagely advice and people like yourself that, you know, come from an evidence-based world with, you know, these things that are these brain hacks and tricks to to help us to perform optimally in those big moments the mindset of willingness and, and courage and humility, those may sound simple, but to me, those are the foundation of what allows me to reach out and get very practical tools to apply in those moments. And lo and behold, that was the turning point in my season. And it, it continued to stay rocky, candidly. Um, I was battling some, some tremendous things and, and some tremendous emotions, and I got through it. And I'm going to be re-signed next year. And it was a contract year, right? So I had all that pressure of what if I go out here and lay an egg and I'm not at my best and they decide not to perform. So now my mom dies and I don't have a job and dun, dun, dun. There was this, this temptation to catastrophize the what ifs. And you really helped me drill that down and stay present in the moment. And at the end of the day, football is the greatest game that's ever been invented. It's the basis of all the good things and all the life lessons that have taught me. And I, I think back to Joe Moore and to Lou Holtz, to Bob Latticer, my high school coach at De La Salle. Those men prepared me for that moment. And although it wasn't my best performance in terms of on a grade sheet, if I'm, I'm being you know objective, at the end of the day, I'm really proud about the way that I showed up. And lo and behold, it was good enough to get me another opportunity and I can't wait till this 2019 season starts. It's going to be my best yet. Man, I can't wait either. I'm really excited. And what I love, you know, here's the other mindset of a, of a champion in that moment, right? Is I think that we, we, um, are socialized to believe that you got to give a hundred percent all the time. And, and, and if we, and sometimes like, because we start believing that when we're young, well, if we can't give a hundred percent, then let's just tap out. Right. And the reality of it is what we need to give is a hundred percent of whatever we've got. And that's what you did last fall. And that hundred percent of whatever it is that you had in you was enough. And all you got to do when you show up on the field is get more out of you than the person you're going up against. And sometimes it's our own fears and doubts, like you said, that we go up against. And you got to give just enough to get beyond the other side of those. And I am so proud and excited for you, you know, in the same way that you're able to do that and continue to move forward. And again, have another piece of evidence now that you can do that. 
I think I also want to highlight uh, uh, two, one thing that applies to two things that you said um, is just the power of what we think into existence. And this comes, um, one, to your reference of of addiction, right, and how that runs as mm-hmm. a pattern in your family. And this is for you, but also for all of our listeners out there who have that somewhere in their genetic background. How we think can actually impact the genetic expression that we have within our bodies because it either manifests the genes that exist or it keeps them suppressed. And so instead of worrying and catastrophizing about, is this going to happen to my kids? And now ultimately they're going to have to take control of their own thoughts from that manifestation. But just like you've been able to navigate and, and rewire your brain and your body out of that experience, we that also impacts how our genes show up, whatever that might be, whether it's, you know, different diseases or different, you know, addictions and that type of thing. And, and it's difficult. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. Um, but some really great research from Dr. Caroline Leaf has, has been around, the, again, the, our thought life and genetic expression. And then also just in terms of conquering those fears, like you said. You know, how are you going to think about this? And are you going to allow that fear to grow and to derail? Or are you going to manage that? You know, like, yeah, this is scary. This is why it's scary. This is the worst thing that could happen. But at the end of the day, I and who I am is more than what could happen from an outcome perspective. And like we tell the guys all the time, you know, the man under the jersey will always outperform the performer. And if you can get in touch with that man, right, the man under the suit that shows up on CBS is way stronger than the dude that's rocking the suit, right? And what you've allowed yourself through humility and deep introspection over the years to find is that guy. And when that guy shows up, man, it doesn't matter what stage he's on, right? He's going to give 100% of whatever he's got. And and that's pretty freaking awesome. It is awesome. And I, I want to I wanna acknowledge and... uh and congratulate you on the most delicate way anybody's ever called bullshit on me uh, for the negative mindset of of <laughs> dooming my child to be <laughs> an alcoholic like his father. You're absolutely right. And that's what's so beautiful about it. And that's what I love about this is by having an open, vulnerable, you know, candid conversation where, you know, there's this notion of these three vaults that we have. Vault one's our thoughts. Vault two's the story we tell us the you know, to ourselves, about ourselves. This vault three is where our authenticity and our essence comes from. When we come from there, we have these conversations and you're willing to do that. You get some feedback that's good. And you're absolutely right, Amber. Thank you for that. In real time, you're you're helping me check my thinking because it was bull jukey. And uh, I appreciate that. So, so the listeners just understand, like, that's our nature, I think, is is we we're all gonna to to have negative thoughts and we get into these conditioned patterns and and man you show you shine a, a pretty bright spotlight on that for me so thank you for that reminder once again that um, his experience is his own and I can have an, a, another an optimistic mindset and the reality is he doesn't have to walk the journey and take the path that I took regardless of what uh, his genetic makeup might be. And that's important for me to remember. It's going to be important for him to know. I'm already starting to talk to my kids in my own way about that, but thank you uh, for being so gentle with uh, kicking me in my butt. Cause it wasn't a pat on the back. That, that was that there wasn't too much meat behind it, but that was something that I needed to hear. So thanks for sharing. 
Uh, you, I love you, brother. We're in this is how it works, right? We're on this journey together, and it's a, it's a gentle kick in the behind sometimes. But <laughs> oh, um, man, on that note, you know, Aaron, we're gonna wrap up here. But I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners uh, some mindset training. Like, what is something that you would encourage our listeners to be doing? to help them learn how to think right, to build a mindset or a patterned way of thinking about what it takes to show up uh, with vulnerability and courage in moments when it matters. How can they practice yeah, that? I'm, I'm, the ways that I do it, and, and you know, I'm not an expert in this thing. The only thing I'm an expert in is my own experience, and I believe that that experience has value. And one of the ways that I do that is through meditation. I get control of my mind by letting go of it and creating space. And it's amazing the creativity that can come in when I just sit quiet and there's no right or wrong way to meditate. You don't have to sit in the lotus position and do anything with your index fingers or your thumbs. It's that willful intent to sit still and to quiet the mind. And I, my goal is to let my third vault tell my mind what to do, not the other way around. And I think that's where a lot of us get it twisted. So meditation has been something that has really started to bear fruit with me. And it's something I've struggled with for you know, five, six, seven years, but it's now a practice as simple as it sounds, being in that space and doing that consistently on the front end and the back end of my day has allowed for the highs to be higher and the lows to be lower. So I have a higher ceiling and a lower floor, ironically, when I don't do anything except sit around and sit. But once that space is created, I also have affirmations that I've recorded in my own voice and audio notes on my iPhone. And when I'm driving to work out, when I'm starting my day, when I'm walking to the studio, I listen to myself in my own voice, talk to myself in the affirmative. And I think one of the things, the way that that came about is that negative tape and that negative voice. And this is specifically related to mindset. You can't do it, man you're getting past your prime, you're too old to work in the tech space or whatever it is, the things that we think, I remind myself of who the hell I am. So I've got uh, affirmations that I listen to. I put my earbuds in. Nobody's able to know what I'm doing or what I'm listening to, but I call it fighting fire with fire. That negative tape that showed up a couple minutes ago of me dooming my kid to the, the same uh, libaceous experience that I had because of what happened with my father and my grandfather is an example of that. So the way I combat that is to listen to affirmations through my earbuds after I meditate. And that has done wonders uh, for when I get in those moments, when it matters to have a base and a foundation, to have clarity, to be in that flow state where I'm above it, I'm a front of it. And things are happening slowly. And it's like Neo from the Matrix. Like you can throw whatever you want at me, but I'm going to use Aikido. I'm going to use Judo versus Karate to make sure that I come out of that mental battle on the right side of the victory column. So clearing my mind, filling it up with things that are positive, that remind me of who the hell I am, what I've been through and what I'm capable of is a real big piece to my success equation. Wow, that is powerful. The battlefield of the mind. When we learn how to fight that battle... All of a sudden, every other battlefield we step on starts to get real mm. quiet and it starts to get real capable mm. of huge execution from the inside out. Love it. Tactical spiritual Wow, warfare, I'm all sorts girl. of jacked up. <laughs> That's it, baby. Let's go all day, every day. That's the only battle we're really fighting out there. No doubt. <laughs> 
Aaron, thank you so much for being with us. This has been spectacular, and I am really looking forward um, to getting some feedback from our listeners because I took four pages of notes, and I you know, can't wait to hear from all of them about what they took away and, and how they're able to um, how they're able to, to show up, um, more authentically, more in tune, more in touch with who they are and how they're going to fight their own battles. Yeah. I I appreciate that, Amber. I'll, I'll I'll share one last quick story. Early on in sobriety, I walked into a, a group of people circled up sharing their hope, strength, and courage. And there was a gentleman across the room that was relaying his story and he was going around. There was a bunch of people that were new to sobriety in, in that particular meeting. And he, he said the following in just the most profound way that in that moment I could hear. He said, you guys have no idea just how beautiful your lives can be. And I remember that because he was right. And I couldn't imagine it in that moment because I was in the darkest of the dark and the lowest of the lows. I had checked every box that one needs to check to live the American dream and be happy yet. It was the darkest place in my life. And that was, that alone was this disconnect of like, wait, what a minute. Wait a minute. I, I did all this yet. I still feel like this. So I would give to your listeners, if you're going through challenges, if you're depressed, if you're struggling, if you're contemplating um, hurting yourself or, or doing things that uh, aren't in your best physical interest to hang in there, that there is a pathway out for all of us, and to remember that we don't have any idea the blessings that are already on their way. Our job is to get mm. honest, to be humble, to be committed to taking the footwork necessary to create that possibility and that reality. And when we do so, at some point, on some day, we're going to look up and look around at the fruits of our labor and smile. Well, that is a beautiful way to wrap up. Aaron, thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you for your wisdom, for your vulnerability, and for your courage um, and the incredible example that you set for all of us out there on how to keep showing up and be willing uh, to fight the battles before us so that we can win the war. Awesome, Amber. Let's do it again. Well, I knew that was going to be an awesome conversation, but I don't think I was prepared for quite how awesome that was. Um the depth, the rawness, the realness. I mean, <laughs> come on. Like I'm a little bit speechless about how incredible that was to hear his heart and his passion and his drive for excellence, despite the challenge and the barriers. And just, you know, that conversation that he had there right at the end to, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with stuff, reach out, have hope, keep showing up, right? Like it's about showing up. And as we show up and we put in some effort and we lean in and we create who we want to become and that vision of what we want to accomplish, even when it's hard, it helps us manifest that vision to, again, gain traction in our lives like we talked about last week, right, so that we can keep showing up. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for being on this journey with us throughout the course of season five. Um, if there's anything we can do for you, please feel free to reach out to me directly, amber at selkingperformance.com, whether that's a keynote speech or a training opportunity for your organization, or your sports team, or if you're looking for a performance coach to come alongside of you, we have a team full of incredible and competent individuals who, uh, from the sports space to the business space, um, to the nutritional space, we've got people that 
really love to come along your journey and help educate, equip, and empower you to show up as the best version of yourselves, uh, particularly when it's hard or when life is busy or when you don't have much margin. Having a coach, just like Aaron mentioned in our conversation today, is a helpful way to navigate those areas and still execute. So again, if there's anything we can do, just let me know, Amber at SelkingPerformance.com. And then check us out on all the social media platforms too. We're on Instagram at Selking Performance, on Twitter at Champ Mindsets, on Facebook at Selking Performance Group. And then you can hit me up on LinkedIn as well, um, just under Amber Selking. So let us know how we can help you. Thank you again for being part of today. We really appreciate you um, and look forward to hearing your stories about what you learned, what you took away and how you can continue to apply this in your own life. You have been listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. This has been your host, Dr. Amber Selking. And from the locker room to the boardroom, I just want to challenge you to continue building your championship mindset.